Thank you very much, Tristan Field-Jones. A very important day today uh, for us TFJ here at uh, CJOB. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but uh, today is Marconi Day. Okay. The man who invented radio. Oh, there we go. Very important day for us. Without him, we would not have a job. That's true. I didn't what would even... you be doing if you were not doing radio? Uh, you know what, Hal? I actually uh, had a serious interest in becoming a climatologist or a meteorologist. Yes, you're a bit Canada. of a weather expert, so sure. I actually took a lot of the science courses in high school to do that. So chances are, if I weren't in radio right now, I'd probably yeah. be with Environment Canada or, or some sort of organization like sure. that. Sure. There you go. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's Marconi Day today, and we'll talk more about that as we go along. By the way, uh, also Denim Day today, Administrative Professionals Day today, East Meets West Day today. It's Hairstylist Appreciation Day, so I'll say hi to Sylvie over at City Looks. Um, and I'll even go way back to when I had a mullet and I used to perm it and I colored it cappuccino. And I'll say hi to Arlene Warehouse, who used to be at Regis up in uh, Garden City. Hairstylist Appreciation Day today. It is also Hug a Plumber Day today. No, thanks. No, you've been cleaning toilets and stuff. We, I'm not going to hug you. We had hug a newsman day not too long ago, right? Yes. And I just think to myself, anything that involves physical contact, yeah. even though the day says so, you might want to mm. ask first. Well, no kidding, right? Especially, you know, Nowadays, with everything yeah. that's happened. Yeah, of course. Uh, International Guide Dogs Day. Mackling and McGeary had mm-hmm. some uh, people on with their guide dogs today. That's kind of cool. As I said, it's International Marconi Day today. International Noise Awareness Day today, License Plates Day, it's Malaria Awareness Day, lots of them today, it's Golf Day today, Manny Petty Day. Have you ever had a Manny or a Petty, uh, No, I have Tristan? not. Tristan, you really should. Okay. It's great. Guys are getting them now. It's fine. It's oh, no, that's not, I, I, I have no shame, so I'm okay. Okay, but. all right. Uh, it's Parental Alienation Day, Red Hat Society Day, and World Penguin Day. Wait a Day. minute. Mm. Wait a minute. Parental Anil- a- Alienation? Alienation Day. Yes. Yeah. And World Penguin Day. I saved the best for last. <laughs> I like the penguins. They're, uh, I like those birds. What They're kind of cute. What committee comes up with I don't, this? I, I want to be part of that committee. I have no idea. No idea. My understanding is a lot of these days were actually made by one woman. I tried to interview her. I tried to get her on the show to talk about it. One mm-hmm. woman who's come up with a lot of these, and I don't know how she's, you know, they've got traction out there. They've become a real day, but apparently it's one woman does a lot of them. Speaking of birds, penguins, on the show today, we are going to talk to uh, Barrett Miller from Fort White Alive because we noticed a couple of geese here in the Polo Park area this morning, and I'm going to get uh, Barrett on to find out if these could possibly be the same geese from Marshall's last year. Mama made a nest in the... That's right, Remember? Mama made a nest in the uh, flower pot there, right in front of Marshall's. Yeah. And anybody went by and she's... "Ah, ah." Yeah. So we're thinking it's probably the same geese because they're very territorial. Yeah, and you're supposed to, when it comes to geese, because uh, uh, I know that our morning news anchor, Jeff Braun, he apparently has issues with geese in the morning. He doesn't like any animals, yeah. I don't think. He doesn't seem to like <laughs> dogs, but, from what I understand. Well, what you're supposed to do when it comes to geese, if they fly at you, yeah. uh, from what I understand anyway. And, Look them right in the eye. Yeah, you, yep. and you, you stand your ground. But yes. of course, you have to get that confirmed, but uh, no, that, that's in, what I've heard. I talked to Barrett this morning. He's going to join us later on on the show, I think at about uh, quarter to three. But yes, you're absolutely right. You look them right in the eyes. And you just stay strong. Don't let them, don't duck or run or, yeah, you just got to go, I'm the boss. 
You're a goose. And you play the theme from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. That would probably be uh, a good idea as well. Okay. Yeah. All right, so uh, we got birds on the show today. Barrett Miller, Fort White Alive, will join us. Muchos kilos. We, we got together this story, apparently, that Amazon will now deliver right to your car. They'll put your package right in the trunk for you. And so muchos kilos, me, Shaner, and Timmy, my band of big guys, we got together. We took the uh, van because uh, Mackling, Greg Mackling, likes Van Halen so much. We took Van Halen's jump, and we've called it Trunk. And so we'll have that song for you on the show today. My weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson, joins us here in uh, five or six minutes. We're going to talk about this nice warm day we've got. Lloyd Axworthy will be in studio. He is now head of the World Refugee Council, and we're going to talk about the refugee crisis. Lloyd Axworthy in studio after Tristan Field-Jones in the 130 Global News here on CGOB. Diana Foxhall is going to join us on Gender Neutral ID Nicole Mediation, Executive Director of On Screen Manitoba, will join us after the news at 2. I want to ask her how big a deal a direct flight to Los Angeles would be for the uh, film industry. Apparently, the story goes that we lost Fargo, the TV series. We could have had that here, filmed it here, but there was no direct flight to L.A., so I'm going to talk to her about that. Tough trivia, $100 from Kitchens today. You might win that $5,000 kitchen makeover that we're calling Uh, Hal's Kitchen, and we're going to toss in some Santa Lucia pizza when we roll out our tough trivia question for you at about 2.15. After the news at 2.30, Chris Rutkowski uh, going to talk with our science writer and weirdologist friend about this new space map. I mentioned Barrett Miller, about quarter to three, and that new song from Muchos Kilos. That's kind of what we got going today. And then whatever's on your mind, 204-780-6868, hal at cjob.com. And, uh, yeah, let's get going with a phone call here from Mel. Mel wants to talk about gas prices. Hi, Mel. Hi, how you doing, Al? Good, you? Super, super. Excellent. I did a little shopping uh, around the Seamless Hill Mall. Yeah. And just uh, caught the light there a little bit and had to, you know, drive in traffic, so you had to get going. So I glimpsed over. I noticed the signage on one of the uh, gas bars was $1.30 a liter. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah, gas prices have really jumped up over the last little while. That's going to put a strain on everybody's pocketbook. Everyone is already tight with their cash flow already. Yeah. Well, and Jeff Courier this morning was talking about oil prices maybe heading up to as high as 100 bucks a barrel again. Wow. Yeah. That, that would be an incredible amount of money. I can imagine what the prices would be at the pump then. Yeah. Well, hey, and Mel, it's just in time for summer or driving, right? That's true. That's yep. right. Mm, oh, yeah. They've uh, they've kind of got it all figured out. I'm tired of, uh, I'll be honest with you, I like uh, Dan McTagg, right, at uh, our kind of our gas expert. I like him, but I'm just tired of knowing why. All I know is the price is up and i got to pay it. Well, I hope at some point there is going to be a little relaxation on the on the gas uh, price. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure it would benefit because it's tough paying the bills these yep. days. Yep, it is for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. All right, Mel, well, uh, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Okay, have a great day. All right. Talk to you soon. And uh, I mentioned it was Manny Petty Day, and Blair wants to talk about that at 204-780-6868. Yes, Blair, Manny, happy Manny Petty Day. (laughs) Thank you, Helen. Happy Manny Petty Day to you, too. (laughs) Yes, what can I I do for you? I had an opportunity to get a manicure done once, and it was only on one finger because, like, uh, 
right at the uh, cuticle where the or at the edge of the nail where it meets the rest rest of the skin and that yeah the nail ripped and it went down into the nail bed and it, it was catching on everything it was painful as all heck yeah so I, and I'm trying to think what can I do to, to alleviate this and that and uh, I was in the mall so I went to one of those nail shops in the mall yeah and I asked asked the nail tech like what can we do about this and it was a little a cute little Asian lady loved her to bits and then she suggested getting an acrylic uh, nail put on top of that and uh, this way the real nail can grow out and and not catch on everything so i had that done and i kept on thinking to myself like for for all the girlfriends i've had before that have, had nail nails done in that they're always complaining that uh, these uh, asian ladies are always talking about them and they know it and i kept on thinking you girls are like crazy in that they're not they've got other things to be doing other than talking about you I swear, when I was sitting in that chair and that lady was working on my one finger, they were talking about me, and I know it. <laughs> oh, my God. Blair, that was a long trip, but it was nice taking it with you. Thanks for the call. All right. All right. Okay, bye-bye. I don't know what that was all about, but anyhow. Uh, so keep the phone calls coming. we got to take a break. One thirteen here. It's Hal Anderson on CJOB. And just before we talk to my weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson, Dave is on the phone with a traffic tip at 204-780-6868. Yes, Dave, what have you got for us? Hey, hi there, Hal. Uh, people should avoid Partridge Avenue, that last block before it hits Main Street. There's a lot of uh, emergency activity there. A car flipped over on its roof somehow, and uh, it would uh, be a good idea to get away from there because they're also cleaning the streets parallel here, and uh, mm. it's kind of tying traffic up. So okay, and avoid say, that say, area. say the street again. Partridge, that's the one uh, just south of Leela. Yeah, yeah. The one that goes in the other direction. The car's flipped over in the last block before you hit Main Street. All right, Partridge near Main. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much for the call, especially when they're traffic tips like that. We like to get them out there so other people can benefit from your knowledge. Now, my weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson. Good afternoon, Bruce. Hi, how are you? Great. Well, we're uh, almost at 20. We could get, they say, as high as 23 today, but with the warmth comes wind, or I guess with the wind comes warmth. Well, pretty much both because of the wind direction. It's more of a west-southwest wind, and that's our warmest wind. It gets annoying when you're working in it, but it's making it warmer. Tomorrow will be less windy, but it will also be a lot cooler, and then the next day will be even slightly cooler than that. Of course, tomorrow is your birthday, so the weather's not too horrible for it. <laughs> yes, it is my birthday tomorrow. Thank you for remembering. So 15 tomorrow, 13 on Friday. Now we're starting to dip maybe back just a little below average again. Right. Average is 14 today, but it'll probably be 15 in the next couple of days. So it's just slightly below average, but then it's going to come up. It looks like it's going to come up. Saturday looks like a gorgeous day. Sunday is getting back into the 20s again, but there might be a few showers and maybe, maybe a thunderstorm. I don't know yet. It's too far in advance to see how much instability there's going to be. It might be warm enough where that would happen. Then Monday, Tuesday, it cools off a little bit with, again, showers. Um, especially Monday. I think Tuesday will probably be dry, but it'll be cooler, and then it'll start coming up again. You said Saturday is going to be gorgeous. How warm? About 18 or 19. Nice, and sunshine. Not a lot of wind yet, yes, Mm -hmm. and not a lot of wind. Yeah, and that precipitation you're keeping an eye on, when did you say that might happen? Well, the the more significant precipitation, and even that wouldn't be terribly big, would Mm. be... Sunday, Monday, something like that. That's the way it looks right now. I don't see a whole lot. Um, the, tonight, maybe a shower, but that would barely be enough to wet the street. But the ones sat, uh, Sunday into Monday, maybe maybe 
you know, five, ten millimeters at the most, but I don't know if we're going to get that much. We'll just have to see. But there's something that might be out there. It may be in the showery type, so that's real scattered. And some places may get a lot more than others, and some places won't get anything, and some places will get a, a decent rain. And I think most people now know this, but I'll just remind people, or maybe new listeners don't know this, Bruce is in Lancaster, Minnesota, and uh, you help a farmer down there. Are you guys getting ready to seed already, or or have you uh, been held up a bit by the weather? Well, we're getting ready. We'll be in the fields this weekend, and uh, we're just finishing getting stuff on the equipment, getting it done. And we did a lot this morning, and the wind's getting pretty blustery now. It was, yeah, I can it hear was it. not bad this morning. Yeah, I know it's it's uh, pushing me around because that wouldn't take much. But it um, <laughs> we're trying to get as much done without the horrendous winds as we can because yeah. it gets annoying. You have wrenches flying off in your face. That's not good. <laughs> no, that is not good. All right, Bruce. Uh, we will talk to you if not before on the weekend, seven fifteen Saturday and Sunday. And I hand off the weekend show, uh, weekend mornings here on CJOB. I hand them off this weekend to Clay. We're going to do the shows together Saturday and Sunday, and then it's all his after that. Okay. Well, All right. I'll talk to you later then. Talk to you then. All right. Thank you, pal. That is my weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson. You can get to his weather website. It's a good one by going to my site, halanderson.ca, halanderson.ca. And now that I'm going to have a little more time, I've got some pretty fun, cool, exciting stuff happening at the website. So, uh, if you do happen to go there to check out uh, Bruce's site, just get all signed up, okay? Sign up there at halanderson.ca and I promise you won't be sorry for doing it. All right, a couple of things here. Lloyd Axworthy joining us in studio after Global News here at 1.30. Um, one of the humble Broncos has, um, who was uh, paralyzed from the chest down in that devastating crash involving the team's bus earlier this month spoke about his recovery from Calgary earlier on today. And I want to play that audio for you as well. So stand by for that. We're going to get that on for you as well. I mentioned uh, what today is, all the uh, various uh, days, or I guess you can call them holidays, for example, Administrative Professionals Day today. Let me just look a a little bit here at um, uh, today in history, because there are a couple of... uh, of interesting uh, ones there. 1792 on this day, the guillotine is used for the first time in France. On this day in 1859, ground is broken for the Suez Canal. 1901, New York becomes the first state to require license plates on cars. 1959, the St. Lawrence Seaway opens up to shipping. There's something happened in 1970, and I'll get to that in a moment. 1979, Rock and Roll High School's premieres. 1990, the Hubble Space Telescope is deployed from the Space Shuttle Discovery. In 93, Russia elected Boris Yeltsin, its leader. In 1995, the original host of Jeopardy, Art Fleming, died at the age of 70. I didn't realize there was uh, somebody before Alex Trebek, but... Sure, I guess it's been around long enough. 1995, the original host, Art Fleming, died at the age of 70. 1979, Rami and Michelle's High School Reunion opened in theaters. 2002, Lisa Lefty Lopez, 30, of TLC, is killed in a car crash in Honduras. 2006, Terry Hatcher suffers an eye injury when a light bulb explodes on the set of Desperate Housewives. Remember that show? 2007, Regis Philbin returns to his talk show after having heart surgery, like Regis. 
2008, Madonna debuts her new album, Hard Candy, on MySpace. Oh, brother. Remember MySpace? 2009, B. Arthur, she was Maud on TV, died. That was in uh, 2009. And in 1970, ABC, by the Jackson 5, peaked at number one. The news at 1.30 is coming up next. It's Hal Anderson on CJOB. Thank you very much, TFJ. 132, just before we chat with Lloyd Axworthy, who has joined us here in studio. Curtis is on the phone with a quick traffic tip for us. Yes, Curtis, what have you got? Yeah, I'm just driving on the perimeter, getting to the LaSalle turnoff. The set of lights for the turn single uh, has blown right off the pole. It's oh, actually wow. hanging by a wire. All right, Curtis, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Nope, no problem. Have a great day. You have a great day as well, Curtis. Thanks very much. Uh, traffic tips really important. We like getting those out as quick as we can. 204-780-6868. And as I said, joining us here in studio now, former uh, Foreign Affairs Minister for Canada, Winnipegger through and through, now the head of the World Refugee Council, Lloyd Axworthy. Uh, Mr. Axworthy, thank you for coming in today. I appreciate it. Good to be here, Hal. Thanks. Yeah. Invitation. You've been doing this uh, now for about a year, World Refugee Council. Tell us what the organization's all about, and then we'll get into where you're at. Well, putting in the simple terms, the refugee system around the world is really uh, shaky. One could even say collapsing in part mm-hmm. simply because the numbers are becoming so extraordinary. Yeah. We're talking 65, 70 million people wow. without any home who are on the move, mm-hmm. who've been... Uh, they're forced out because of wars or conflicts or uh, just a turmoil generally. And so a system that was really designed back in 1951, right after the Second World War, is no longer able to cope and manage that. So the UN has started an effort to reform, to restructure things. And the Refugee Council is designed to be kind of a, uh, the, the sharp end of the spear and putting some good and effective new uh, structures, architecture in place, and getting uh, the political support to uh, make sure that they can be implemented. Mm-hmm. So it's a group of uh, 24 people who range all the way from former presidents of countries 
to good academics, to uh, guys like me who were foreign ministers, to uh, refugees themselves, uh, and uh, generationally, young and old. Mm -hmm. So it's a group from around the world. And, and Hal, what's been interesting, when I first saw this and was asked to be chairman, I said, how are you ever going to get any agreement here? Yeah, It's been surprising, the consensus about the need to make some fundamental changes, because if we don't, it's just going to have a very significant impact on every one of us. Mm -hmm. What's the biggest pro Well, first of all, let me ask you, where, I guess Syria would be one of the worst spots, right? Uh, talk about some of the real bad spots for the crisis. Well, to begin with, they keep popping up. I mean, mm. Syria is by far the yeah. most uh, uh, important one, simply because of the numbers, but also because that war is still not resolved. It's going to go on for years. And so you've got something like seven or eight million Syrians in the borders. One thing that uh, a lot of Canadians don't fully uh, understand is that the big weight of refugees are not in North America or Europe. Mm. It's in uh, poor countries in the south. Right. So like Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey, uh, um, Uganda, they're taking a million uh, refugees a year in, mm. and they got to find places for them to live. In Jordan, for example, one of our council meetings was held there about six or seven months ago, and they're running out of water. I mean, there's just an extra million people drawing on a very limited uh, sort of water supply, and they're saying, what do we do? Mm -hmm. And they're not getting the kind of support that they need from the rest of the, rest of the world. Mm -hmm. well, um, I guess the, the problems are, are plenty, right? I mean, there's, yes. there's so many uh, different aspects to this. What's the biggest need? Is, is there a biggest need? I know you've come out with some recommendations. Maybe talk about the needs, where we need to uh, try and uh, get at this and, and your recommendations and, and get into that a bit for us. Well, hell, I guess if if there was a big need, it would be to try to uh, uh, offset, prevent the kind of uh, turmoil, the violence that creates refugees. I mean, there people are not leaving simply, you know, on a whim. Right. Uh, they're running for their lives, uh, and uh, you know, they're and their families. I mean, mm -hmm. you've got cases. I was just reading uh, uh, some reports this morning. You've got half a million children in the South Sudan. You know, in an area of the world that we don't pay a lot of attention, who are totally malnourished, who mm -hmm. are starving, mm -hmm. simply because we can't get aid, there isn't enough money. And so you've got all these children who are growing up sort of susceptible to diseases and other kinds of, of issues. Um, in in the case of uh, Syria, you know, you're, you've still got a major, major wars going. You've still got three or four factions who are uh, fighting for each piece of turf. So people can't go back, and that puts a bigger burden, onus, if you like, on uh, those of, uh, and it's a, by the way, dwindling number of countries that can uh, afford to help uh, refugee get settled. And also, as we did uh, uh, back in 2016, accept uh, close to 40,000, 50,000 refugees from Syria into Canada. Mm -hmm. You've come out with uh, some recommendations, and you said, surprisingly, you're getting support. Yeah, I think that people realize uh, that, that this is something that if we if we don't work together, if we don't collaborate, it's just going to have a repercussion on everybody. The, you can't have large numbers of people 
sort of estranged or cut off from any form of, uh, of education or health or simple uh, safety and security in their living without knowing that it's going to have uh, various kinds of pushbacks. They, that itself becomes another source of conflict. It also means, as we've seen, that uh, when the surges of people uh, took place as they did in Europe uh, two years ago, it starts to create a, a, an xenophobia, a kind of anti-refugee feeling that everybody's bad and as a result the borders shut down and you, you lay on an awful lot more control. Mm. That begins to change the way we work as, as democratic countries. And so whether it's political or economic or social, um, the refugee issue I think represents one of the big global uh, problems of our time. Mm-hmm. And now when will your council start to take action? You've got your recommendations, uh, and now I think very soon you plan on starting to implement some some action. That's right. We're, we're really uh, targeting uh, the end of June mm. uh, for uh, council meetings where we will come up with our proposals and then sort of translate that into recommendations for the United Nations. And if that doesn't work, there's also we're trying to put together a coalition of other governments and uh, countries and uh, civil groups and so on to actually undertake some of the reforms on their own. And I think there's one thing to emphasize, that uh, a lot of expectation that Canada will take a lead on this. You know, there's a, a lot of countries that uh, have really retreated from any significant involvement. Uh, and But people still remember that this is a country that's been open and pluralistic and I, you know, there's people in this country who are, you know, opposed to that. But the uh, majority of Canadians still believe that the, our roots, yeah. which is we all came from somewhere, mm-hmm. except for our First Nations who yeah. were a long time, uh, that we've got certain principles, values. To uphold. Yeah. Well, and and uh, listen, I for as you point out, there are people that feel differently, but I for one am very proud of how we have approached right. this issue as as Canadians. Yeah. Do, do you know it was interesting? I was way back. That's ancient history. I was Minister of Immigration for four years. Yeah. Back in the in, in the former Mister Trudeau's government. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that began to happen at that time, you'll recall the whole massive movement of boat people right. from uh, from Vietnam yes. coming out of the war. And one of the things that we devised as a country was uh, what we call community sponsorship, meaning that Canadians themselves could uh, take responsibility for bringing families in or people in. Mm-hmm. And you know something that created an enormous sense of participation amongst a lot of Canadians, mm-hmm. that they were helping to solve a real problem. Yeah. And so that's been good for us. Mm. You know, the, the feeling that every once in a while you stand up and even now today, you know, you've got in, in this city uh, major groups who are uh, teaching the Azidis who are a, a very uh, sort of isolated sect. Uh, you've got uh, groups working to provide jobs and employment for refugees. Mm. So, so Canadians are responding. I mean, I think, I think we should all take some pride in the fact that uh, we, we still hold on to what we think are our responsibilities. It's not true. I mean, we see what's happening in the United States where the, the Trump administration is basically, you know, sh- shutting the doors. And uh, Well, and we're now seeing people coming here, uh, right, well, wanting, again, our help. And I was going to ask uh, you about that. Yeah, well, there's no question that, uh, you know, we for years have had a pretty uh, compatible 
complementary relationship with the United States on immigration. Mm-hmm. They, they had an open system, and so did we. And we signed agreements called First Nation Agreements so that if uh, somebody landed in the United States first, uh, they would be vetted or uh, looked at their credentials or their rights as refugees there. So it means it wouldn't be a hop, skip, and jump. But now that they've closed the doors, uh, the people inside the states have nowhere to go, and they're desperate. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be coming across our borders probably. I, I mean, I don't want to make uh, gloomy predictions, but probably this year more than ever because the the squeeze is on uh, in the United States. They're not accepting any refugees at all. So that means the pressure is going to be on us. And I think we have to work out a, a way to deal with that first country agreement and mm. say to them, look, you, you, we need to amend it. We need to redesign it so that uh, people are come here, can come here legitimately and apply in our embassies or consulates or offices mm-hmm. as opposed to having to uh, come across the border at Emerson and, and be arrested by the RCMP. Yeah. And what would you say to people then that worry about bad people coming across the border? What, what do you say to those people that are concerned about that? You know, here in Canada, we, we want to, we all came from somewhere, as you said, we want to welcome people, but at the same time, there is that concern in the back of a lot of people's minds. Well, I think that you know the system uh, is pretty much designed to provide very careful uh, assessments. So even mm-hmm. if they're coming across the border without having made a prior application, yeah. they're going to be picked up by the RCMP and by the Federal Immigration Service, and then they have to go through hearings. They'll have to produce uh, their own testimony as documentation as to mm-hmm. why they should be accepted as refugees in Canada. Yeah. So there is a process in place. So it's not just that they come across the border and all mm-hmm. of a sudden disappear, you know, into the in to the woodwork. Yeah. Back to the global refugee crisis for a moment. Somebody in Winnipeg or Manitoba that feels strongly about this issue, what can they do as individual Canadians? Well, I think to begin with, there's a lot of uh, work that needs to be done locally. Uh, when refugees arrive, we... It goes without saying, many of them are coming from war-torn countries. The uh, kids that go to school and know nothing but conflict in their lives. Oftentimes, they they don't have their parents or their family mm-hmm. with them. So they need and, help. They need support. They need help. and They need support, mm-hmm. volunteer help. Mm-hmm. You, you've got the Refugee Council, and you've got a number of organizations that are helping to uh, provide education, uh, contributions, and I think that that is uh, one of the one of the most uh, difficult issues. Uh, and I was just uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, attending a seminar at the uh, University of Winnipeg. Is the the fact that people are arriving with traumas, and therefore have some mental uh, adjustments to make, mm-hmm. and we don't have much in the way of services. And I think that there's a group of refugees who have come together to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And I think on the wire periphery. Just being able to get a job, to be able to get out of the house, to be able to go to school, things of that kind. But there's going to have to be a pretty good level of understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, to go back to your word, I think we should be proud that so many people in this community are taking up that challenge. Absolutely. Um, listen, you're still obviously very, very involved running the, uh, uh, you know, the World Refugee Council. Do you miss politics? Do you miss that <laughs> life? Or, or is that uh, in the past, in the rearview mirror now? Well, you, it, it never leaves you. I mean, mm. I, I spent 27 years yeah. as an elected member from uh, from this great city. And uh, it, it's still, 
the nice thing about those when the election comes along, I don't have to be out there and the door's knocking. <laughs> I can put my feet up and have a little yeah. sip of scotch and right. watch the returns yeah, come and, in. And, and watch as a spectator <laughs> yeah, exactly for a change. Right. Yeah. Although I'm, I still want to stay involved. Uh, sure. You know, I, I, as well, probably you and your listeners know, I've been an active liberal all my life mm-hmm. and I still support the party. I think uh, yep. the federal government, Mr. Trudeau's government, is doing some good things. And I think uh, uh, I'm hoping that the provincial party will now have a, a new boost uh, uh, with the uh, new leader that they've got. Yep. So who knows? I, but let's just say that uh, I'm not in the command control. Yes, right, right. Well, let me just say thank you for all your years of service. Uh, public service is a tough mm-hmm. one. You've, you've done it for many years. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for all your work at the university. And, you know, and now you're uh, taking on this huge task of trying to deal with the refugee crisis with the World Refugee Council. So best of luck. Great to see you. Thank well, you very thank you. much. Yeah. Well, it keeps me off the street. It so. certainly does. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you very much thank for you. invitation. Lloyd Axworthy um, joining us here on CJOB this afternoon, 147. Quick break and we will be right back. And joining us now at 152, Global News reporter Diana Foxhall. Oh, Diana, how are you? I am very well, thank you. How are you? I am great. Uh, tell us about gender-neutral ID. You were out finding out about this today. Yes. Yeah, so uh, what is going on here in Manitoba? Manitoba doesn't currently have any option for uh, people who identify as non-binary. So that's to say they don't identify as male or right. female. Mm-hmm. And what's happening is the NDP government here in Manitoba is putting forward a private member's bill that would change... Um, It would amend the Vital Statistics Act so that people could come forward and have their ID, whether it be driver's license, birth certificate, health card, changed to match the way they identify. And typically that's seen elsewhere in provinces that do already have that in place. That's an X where an M or an F would normally go on Mm -hmm. your driver's license, for example. So they're putting that forward um, and... It's more sort of, um, as Wab Canoe says, it's more of a human rights issue than it is a partisan issue. He really mm-hmm. hopes that the PCs do see it the same way he does because right. to him this is something that should have been resolved a while ago if people are identifying not as male or female but as non-binary. Mm-hmm. They should be able to do that. So here he is kind of explaining why he brought this forward today. Okay. You know, non-binary folks uh, face a lot of uh, barriers and in some cases can face uh, pain and stress as a result of being misgendered or being forced to uh, identify uh, as male or female. And how I look at it is today we know that non-binary folks are accepted in their circles by by friends and family. They're accepted by their schools. So I think it's time that the government send a strong signal that we accept non-binary folks as well. Yeah, I, I, I really do think that it, it, it's unfortunate that it sort of needs to go through a political process here because it really shouldn't be about politics. It should be about individuals being able to identify themselves the way they want to be identified. Exactly. And um, Canoe said that he'd like to see this go through ideally if it gets passed as, as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would obviously mean there would be less time for people who identify as non-binary to sort of have to continue to pull out their IDs saying male or female, right. when to them each time they have to do so, it kind of represents another sort of jab at their identity and kind of brings up all the times that they were misgendered in the past. Mm-hmm. So Sam McKinnon, who identifies as non-binary, was the one to bring this up to Wob Canoe and say, I think you should be looking into this issue. And um, they, again, would like to see that X because it represents something 
that currently the government of Manitoba does not recognize that they are in fact non-binary. I can't really describe that feeling, but it's almost as if somebody is just shaving a little bit off of your soul every time you're misgendered. And it goes so deep and it cuts so deep because it reminds you of all of the times in your life where you weren't recognized for who you were and where you still aren't recognized for who you are. So ideally, um, the plan, is, if the NDP get their way, would be that this would go forward, it would mm -hmm. become legislation, right. and people would be able to tick off a non-binary box on that government ID. And mm -hmm. obviously for people ha who have male or female currently and would like to change that, that would just be a matter of going to vital statistics and having that change. Making the change, yeah. And Canoe says, again, as soon as possible, the sooner the better. This is really, an, again, a nonpartisan issue. So if the bill passes, and I really do hope it passes, I don't think this is a partisan issue. This is one I think the government uh, should support. But if it does pass, it will mean that, um, well, basically the timeline we want to see this passed is we'd like to get the bill passed before the House rises this summer, and then the changes would take effect 30 days after that. So once the changes take effect, it would be possible for somebody to go to vital stats and say, I want to change the uh, gender designation on my birth certificate, and then that would be able to happen. And then if that person wanted, they could go and get their other ID changed as well, like driver's licenses and uh, other forms of government-issued ID. So we'll see where that goes. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that is being presented today as a private member's bill. Um, Canoe says the most recent private member's bill that they've had kind of was the one on the heels in the workplace. Right. That one is, yeah. I believe, passed at second reading recently, but it hasn't officially gone mm -hmm. through all the channels, so that's still not, not too official at this point. Um, yeah, with these bills, you just kind of never know, right? That's and, the trouble. And, and when you've got the, the conservative government, there will be some members of that government that may have a problem with this. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with it. Uh, were you able to talk to some of the people that might be affected by this? Are you going to have more on the news with Richard and Julie coming up after 4 o'clock? I did get a bit of a longer chat with Sam and they were very helpful in explaining what it would mean to sort of have something that mm. recognize them for who they are because currently yeah. as they see it the province does not identify them as being non-binary and that's right. a big issue. All right so more with Richard and Julie on the news after four o'clock here on CJOB that is Global News reporter Diana Foxhall. Thank you very much. We got a break three minutes away from Global News at two with Tal Anderson on CJOB. Thank you very much, TFJ204. Happy Wednesday. It's a beautiful day. It's windy. It's windy, but if you can handle the wind, it's a beautiful day. Nice and sunny, almost 20 degrees. We may get into the 20s. We'll have to wait and see on that. But if you can survive the wind, nice day. Almost Los Angeles weather out there. We've been talking today on CJOB a lot about direct flights, you know? Direct flights to New York, for example, or Los Angeles. And Christian O'Mell are... One of our global news reporters is going to join us in a bit. Uh, he was over at the airport talking to Barry Rempel at the Winnipeg Airports Authority today about how do we go about getting some direct flights to cities like Los Angeles, for example, which would be great for the local film community, right? Um, Nicole Mediation joins us now. She is the executive director of On Screen Manitoba. Nicole, thanks a lot for uh, jumping on here today for a few minutes. I appreciate your time as always. 
pleased to do it, Hal. Yeah, a, a direct flight to Los Angeles. I think the numbers a few years ago were something like 35,000 people uh, make their way uh, from Winnipeg to Los Angeles every year. The numbers are there. I guess the Winnipeg Airport Authority just needs to convince one of the carriers that uh, a direct flight to Los Angeles would be a, a good idea. We can keep our fingers crossed on that, but... Uh, certainly it would be good for our film community here, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, anytime we've got a direct flight uh, to a major center, it uh, helps the uh, media production industry um, in terms of, you know, flow of getting talent in and uh, uh, bringing in producers and, and studios. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously we would uh, we, we would welcome any direct flights with, with major centers. Yeah. Um, but we're doing pretty well as it is. Well, absolutely. You had a record-breaking year. I, uh, for sure, we're, we're doing well considering, uh, and it actually kind of surprises me, no direct flight to L.A., but yet we're doing a lot, of, a, a lot of work here in the province, which is great. Yeah, I mean, I think it really speaks to the, the quality of production that comes out of this community. Um, I think it speaks also to the fantastic production incentives that are in place and the stability of our tax credit. Um, and, um, you know, we're competitive. And it's a very busy time uh, in the media production industry all around the world. And we're getting to enjoy some of that business. Well, and with the dollar the way it is now, too, I'll bet you these American production companies are almost salivating looking at an opportunity to film here in, in Canada and in Winnipeg and Manitoba. Yeah, I think that contributes to the decision. Um, you know, for sure, whenever a production is looking at a location, they're looking for the look that they want mm-hmm. and, the, and, you know, that the location can provide that. Um, and then they're also looking at dollars and cents, right? So it's, uh, it's a big investment over a short period of time. You've got to get the numbers right. Yeah, and we've talked about this before, but I've heard many times, uh, Nicole, that it's about our people. Our people are just so good at what they do. We have these talented people here uh, that these production companies that come here, they might be willing to make a sacrifice like no direct flight to work with the quality people we have here. I think that's very true. Um, You know, we've got good repeat business. Um, We're known for the quality of our crew. Uh, we've got great, very experienced producers who can uh, guide um, service productions through, you know, kind of through the ropes here. Mm. Um, we've got producers who are doing co-productions and who are doing wholly Manitoban-owned productions. So we've really got a diverse industry um, that's really allowed us to build up um, the quality of the crew, the talent here. You know, we've also got some um, really great depth in the acting community. Absolutely. We were already talking about the record year last year. What's happening right now? How is 2018 looking? What's being filmed? What's coming up? Well, it's looking busy. We've got, uh, you know, Channel Zero back again. We're really happy whenever we've got fiction series shooting here. It's uh, great for stability. Uh, Burden of Truth has been greenlit again. That's a CBC uh, show that shot in Selkirk last year. Really excited to see that one moving forward with Eagle Vision. Um, there's a number of uh, features, a couple that have just finished, a couple in prep, and uh, more coming May, uh, May, June, July into September is looking, looking really great. We've got some um, local productions also uh, moving forward. So uh, a really nice mix again of um, you know, service work coming in and co-productions moving forward and Manitoba productions moving forward. Really busy on the factual side too. Often we don't... Uh, we don't see that work in the same way because you don't have the, you know, the big production trucks 
out with large crews around those, but um, our uh, documentary and factual producers um, provide um, uh, a lot of steady work in the in the community, and uh, they work internationally and nationally as well. Uh, Nicole, I, I thought of you recently. I was going to call you, and I didn't. Uh, got busy with something else. When I saw the the money that Netflix plans to spend on productions. It's billions and billions of dollars. When you see numbers like that, that has to put a smile on your face because you know you're going to get some of it here, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a bit what I said at the beginning. There's um, there's a surge in production all around the world right now. Uh, there's huge demand for uh, for content, for audiovisual content. Um, you know, people love to listen to stories, and um, this is the industry that provides them right now. And there's a lot of different uh, distribution channels now that are looking for content, whether it's feature films or series, um, documentary, factual, fiction. Um, people are hungry for them. There's lots of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to know, uh, and and I maybe this uh, question is is not a good one because, like you said, it's got a these production companies. They want a certain look, and and maybe we fit, and maybe we don't. Do we have competition out there? Like, if Winnipeg's in the running for a production, are there you know one or two other cities that tend to be on that list in competition with us on a regular basis, like a Calgary or a, or a Vancouver? I mean, well, Vancouver and Toronto, they get a lot of of uh, the work in Canada, but do we have any other cities out there that we're kind of always competing against? Well, um, arguably, we're competing with the world, right? Sure. This is really an international uh, business today. Uh, there are very strong production incentives all over the world, so uh, producers are always looking, you know, where does it make sense for me to set up? Mm-hmm. Uh, where can I count on the stability of the production incentives? Where am I going to get the quality of crew that I need? And where am I going to get the look that I need? Yeah. So it is, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a busy place out there. And, um, you know, there's some places that have similar looks to us. So, yes, we're always, we're always competing with them. Um, but it really is, uh, you know, it's not limited to a national competition. It really is an international competition yeah. uh, to, to bring, those, uh, bring those shows in. Nicole, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And I guess we'll keep our fingers crossed that uh, we'll have that direct flight to L.A. That would be nice. All right, we'll do that. Excellent. Thanks Thank so much, you. Hal. Okay. Bye-bye. Nicole Mediation, she is the executive director of On Screen Manitoba. We've been talking a lot today about wouldn't it be nice if there was a direct flight from Winnipeg to LA? Nicole Mediation, one of the people that would love to see that. As I said, the numbers kind of make sense. A few years ago it was 3 uh 35,000 uh, people. And that's in the ballpark of what Barry Rempel at Winnipeg Airport Authority says uh, there needs to be. I know Carol Vivier, the CEO of the Manitoba of uh, Manitoba Film and Music, would love uh, to see a direct flight as Nicole would. And I know there's at least one example of of a production that we could have had, but we did not get apparently because there was no direct flight between. Winnipeg and L.A., and that was the Fargo TV series. That was one that they wanted to do here, and in the end, they said, nope, no direct flight. So as Nicole pointed out, we're doing great. We're getting lots of production, but a direct flight between here and L.A. would not hurt. 
2.13. We will take a break and come back. Tough trivia on the way. Your chance to win next with me, Hal Anderson, on CJOB. All right, it is tough trivia time. Get the question right. You'll get a $100 gift card for Kitchens Today. We'll qualify you for Hal's Kitchen, that $5,000 kitchen makeover from Kitchens Today. And we're going to toss in again today some Santa Lucia pizza. Mmm, I could use... Some Santa Lucia pizza right now. But I'm going to settle for my orange. <laughs> All right, here's the question. Hopefully you get it right. 204-780-6868. 204-780-6868. Survey says 14% of women have cut a night short because of this. What? 14% of women say they have cut a night short because of this. 204-780-6868. For Santa Lucia Pizza, $100 Kitchens Today gift card, and you might win that $5,000 kitchen makeover. Hi, CJOB. Uh, because of kids? Kids. Damn kids. Yes, good answer, but not the correct answer. No, sorry. Hi, CJOB. Uh, because you got a bad date call? No, no. Hi, CJOB. An emergency in the family. An emergency in the family. That would certainly cut a night short, but not the answer we are looking for. Sorry. Hi, CJOB. Bad chipper. I'm sorry? Bad chipper. No, not uh, the correct answer. Hello, CJOB. Yeah, hello. Hi. Um, Because of uh, bad hair. <laughs> Bad hair. No, not the answer we need. Survey says 14% of women have cut a night short because of this. What? Hi, have you got a guess? Oh, not being clean? <laughs> no, not the uh, answer we need. No, sorry. Hi, CJOB. Hi, uh, cramps? <laughs> no. Uh-uh. Hello, CJOB. Uh, to, to cut a to watch a TV program. No, I'll tell you. It's uh, I'll give you a hint. It is uh, something they wear. Something they wear. Hi, CJOB. Tight shoes. Survey says fourteen percent of women have cut a night short because their shoes were hurting their feet. <laughs> yes, I knew as soon as I gave you the hint, somebody would get it. Yes, what is your name? Laura Lynn. Laura Lynn, you have that $100 gift card for Kitchens today. You now might win Hal's Kitchen, that $5,000 makeover. And we're going to toss in some Santa Lucia pizza, too. Yay. Yeah, good for you. Hang on. We'll get Jeff Forche, the producer, to chat with you off air and get you all signed up for that. All right. Uh, We have a little time here. So let me just, uh, I was hoping to get this in sooner, but I'll I'll get it on now. I certainly want to get it on, uh, on the show, period. Humboldt Broncos hockey player, I told you about this earlier. Well, here it is, some comments today from one of the players that survived that crash, Ryan Stresnitsky, who was paralyzed from the chest down in that crash involving the team's bus earlier this month. He spoke about his recovery from Calgary earlier today. The 19-year-old suffered a broken back in the April 6 crash that left 16 people dead and 13 others injured. Ryan spoke from his wheelchair, wearing his Broncos number 10 hat, his parents sitting beside him at Foothills Medical Center. He spoke about what he remembered from that horrible crash. So I was sitting on the bus texting my girlfriend, and 
getting kind of prepared for the game. Um, and all of a sudden, I heard a, a scream from the front of the bus, and a semi truck pulled in front of us. And that's all I remember. I kind of blacked out and uh, woke up. However long later, my uh, back was against the semi, and you know I saw my teammates in front of me. My my first instinct was to get up and you know try and help, but I uh, couldn't move it. Couldn't move my body, so I just uh, I yeah it was it was terrible. So I was sitting more to the middle. Um, to the uh, to the left side, so I think maybe like that was lucky to be honest, because certain people in my area didn't make it, and I'm just like it's it, I don't think it's hit me yet. Like it's that it was terrible. Again, Ryan Strasnitsky paralyzed from the chest down in that crash. He says he's in pain. He said that pain wakes him up every two hours all night, but he's getting through it. He says he talks to his uh, teammates who have survived every single day. Oh, we've gotten so much closer. We, uh, you know, we it's not all of us live in Alberta or Saskatchewan, so we, we have a group chat, and, you know, every day we're texting there, and if somebody needs someone to talk to, we'll contact them, we'll talk to them. But I think after all this, we've, we've gotten really closer. And Ryan says he has one big goal ahead of him. Yeah, I'm just... You know, hoping one day to get to that point where I be able to walk again. You know, I've, uh, some people have said I, I won't be able to, but you know, I kind of want to prove them wrong. And you know, each day just do something more and more. You know, sit in the chair longer, uh, try and sit up longer, um, just little things like that. Wow, 19 years old. Ryan says he wants to try to play sledge hockey, and if that's not possible, he wants to coach. His positivity so far has been nothing short of inspiring. You know, if you're negative, I don't think anything can be done. You know, if you're positive, you can set those challenges for yourself. You know, you, you, uh, you inspire people. You can, you know, just change people's lives if you're positive, even though circumstances may say otherwise. But I think just being positive helps so much. It'll uh, help me heal for sure. And one more clip here. What about mom and dad? I think when you're alone with your thoughts, that's when I'm have the heart struggle. Um, being with people and, and Ryan and our friends and family, it's it's easy to be strong then. Yeah, we just take it uh, like I taught Ryan shift by shift. So we're still in the first period, fourth shift in, so we still got a full game to go. So that's how we take it. That is. Uh... Ryan Stresnitsky and his parents, 19 years old, suffered a broken back in that horrible Humboldt Broncos crash, which killed 16 people and hurt 13 others, including Ryan, paralyzed from the chest down. Uh, let's go to the phone here before we take a break for the news. Bill is on the phone at 204-780-6868. Hello, Bill. Hello, Hal. Hi. Hi. I just wanted to remember a, a week or so ago, I phoned about CBC and the Jets things and all that. They confirmed on air last night that the Jets games will be on CBC. There you go. You're happy about that, eh, Bill? Uh, well, I'm, you know, for CBC, we're paying for it anyway. Yeah. But no, the, the point was, I know Rogers has the yeah. rights, but it's you know it's a Canadian team. No, I hear you. A lot of people felt the same way. Yeah. Well, apparently, and I, I when I did, I did 
phone CBC and make a diplomatic complaint, and they said I was about the 800th person that called. Yeah, I'm sure. So they heard us. Yeah. And the final thing is I was just preparing my lunch earlier, and uh, the phone rang, and it was the, uh, they're getting more sophisticated, but I don't fall for, it's the old Revenue Canada scam thing, so I just wanted to remind all our, my nice Winnipegers and Manitobans out there, yeah. uh, just beware, and it may not be myself or yourself, but mm-hmm. you may have par- parents or younger people yep. that aren't paying attention, so every once in a while, it doesn't hurt to remind them just hanging the phone up. But in any case, that's all I wanted to report to you. Okay, Bill, thank you. Okay. Thanks for the call, Bill. Appreciate that. Yes, and those Revenue Canada scams. I'm getting them a couple times a week. So, yes, very good advice, Bill. Beware. Do not fall for that. Global News at 2.30 is coming right up. It is 2.33. We got lots coming up here. We got a lot to to get in the final hour and a half here, uh, including a report on uh, direct flights out of Winnipeg from our Christian O'Mel. That is now available. Uh, Also, uh, Baird over at Fort White. We're going to talk with him about geese. And I got a Muchos Kilos song. I got to get on as well. But joining us right now on the phone is science writer and weirdologist Chris Rutkowski. Hello, Chris. Hello there, hell. Thank you for doing this. Uh, Lots of stuff I want to talk with you about. A couple of uh, kind of funny uh, space stories here in a moment. But uh, the more serious one, first of all, scientists are out with a new space map. This is, uh, well, it it has... uh, uh, measurements, very high precision measurements of almost 1.7 billion stars. This is incredible. It is. Uh, it's called DR2. Uh, it's a second data release from the European Space Agency on uh, on a, a map of uh, space. And uh, you know how uh, when you're out at, let's say, Winnipeg Beach, looking up at a nice clear sky, yeah. uh, you can probably see about 5,000 stars on a, on a clear night. Well, you know, that's just the, the range of human eyes capability, about 5,000 stars. So uh, the European Space Agency uh, and its consortium has sent up uh, a uh, probe called Gaia, and for the past three or four years, uh, two years, I guess, has been mapping uh, stars to try and get a better idea, and they're doing it with multiple measurements uh, so that they can actually um, see some stars in motion in the sky, because the stars are actually moving in their own right, uh, around each other and, and uh, as a result of planets and things like that. So they're actually getting 3D images of stars mm. and, uh, and the, uh, the amount of stars. Like you can say it's almost 2 billion stars. Uh, there's a beautiful uh, image of the Milky Way galaxy. And they're actually able to see our, how, where the Earth is sitting within the Milky Way galaxy's arms. You can actually see some of the arms in some of these photos. So it's, it's quite an achievement. And what's the purpose? I mean, a map here is to try and help me get from one place to another. Why map the Milky Way? 
Well, one of the things they're doing is mapping the uh, the motions of stars. So we, you know, our sun is moving through space at a certain uh, rate. Also, uh, so the stars are different colors, different temperatures, and uh, as stars age, they turn different colors and uh, move on something called the main sequence. And we know that our sun is about middle aged, but we're not completely certain how far along in middle age it is. And uh, they've mapped stars with such accuracy they've found little little um, they're tinkering with the uh, the aging process uh, as they understand it for stars so it gives some insight in how our own sun is evolving and that eventually leads us to some insight on what the sun may be doing in the future whether it's going to send out some uh, some more solar flares and, and that type of thing so it does allow us some insight into our own sun by looking at other stars Hmm, interesting stuff. All right, now on to the ones that made me smile today. So uh, some, in some way, you tell me how they have figured out that the atmosphere around Uranus uh, is made up of kind of farts and rot, rotten eggs. <laughs> I've really simplified it. Explain. Well, you know, um, a lot of probes have been out in the solar system, and what they're doing, they're taking measurements of the upper atmosphere of planets. I mean, uh, it's a common thing now. You can actually do it with some telescopes that are Earth-based as well. But it's a matter of trying to figure out what the composition of the atmospheres are of the distant planets. And they figure that Uranus... Um, like some of the gas giants, which are uh, uh, in our solar system, yeah. uh, are composed of gas. Um, basically, the smell of rotten eggs, uh, farts, I suppose, <laughs> if, if you want to put it in those terms. Yes. Um, hydrogen sulfide is a component that's, uh, that's in the upper atmosphere. But it's common in other planets, too. I mean, um, natural gas, the type of gas we have in our homes, um, it's actually so cold on Pluto that methane, which is the component of natural gas, falls as snow. And they've been able to observe this using some of the instruments. So, you know, it's, it's just a, the nature of how we uh, had the Earth and some of the planets evolve. I mean, the Earth has actually lost a lot of these lighter uh, gases over, over time, and that's mm-hmm. why we have uh, uh, the atmosphere that we do. But uh, some of the other planets, the gas giants, have been able to retain some of that. Hmm. So breaking news, this just in, Uranus stinks. It does, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another one here that I saw today, and I, I thought, I got it. Okay, now that's three good ones. I got to get Chris on today. So um, this guy is a YouTuber, and a group of experts have launched a loaf of garlic bread into outer space. They used a weather balloon. And there's pictures and everything on YouTube if you want to go in and check this out. Uh, it was at the edge of the atmosphere for over two hours. Um, there's really no reason for this. I think they just did it so that we would talk about them, right, uh, Chris? Uh, absolutely. I mean, people are launching uh, weather balloons with... Uh, all sorts of things. People have put their favorite toys up there. Um, you know, you might remember just a little while ago, Elon Musk had put a, a toy car yep. up in space. Yeah. So it's one of those things, because we can. And, you know, that's actually a really good reason to do some science. Because um, in, in doing things just because we can, it allows us to, you know, number one, make science approachable to the average person. Mm. But also, um, it, you know, it's actually some pretty good science in order to get a balloon up there with a, a, a GoPro or a, 
a piece of garlic bread, you have to have the mechanism, you have to be <laughs> able to understand how far it's going to go, uh, and it gives you some insight in what it's like. I mean, sure, I think the bread probably got a little cold up there, so I'm not yeah. sure how edible it would have been on the way back, but yeah, it gives you an idea of um, this is what science can tell us, and you know what goes up does come down. There's a proof right there. And can anybody do that with a weather balloon? Is it an expensive proposition, or are there rules and regulations about that? Or, or if you've got the, the means to do it, you can just do it? Uh, actually, there there are some regulations. You do have to clear it with uh, Transport Canada. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even the University of Manitoba uh, sends up uh, weather balloons from time to time uh, in cooperation with Transport Canada, Nav Canada, and with Environment Canada. Um, you actually do have to clear some of these things because there is a danger with putting uh, balloons up uh, in airline flight paths. There right. are certain t- times you can't do it. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, if you go through the proper regulations, uh, a lot of people are doing it. And and why not? It's, uh, it's certainly a way of, of uh, exploring our universe uh, on a cheap budget. Yeah. Listen, Chris, I can't have you on. You are a science writer, but you're also a weirdologist. I cannot have you on without asking you if anything weird has happened in Winnipeg and Manitoba lately. Well, boy, I mean, apart from the whiteout, I mean, we're, we're certainly getting some interesting stuff recently. Uh, we've had some interesting reports of uh, UFOs from up north, uh, let's say around uh, uh, um, Brochet and, and places like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so we're tr- trying to find out more. Supposedly there's a video circulating around of something that happened up north, but we haven't actually seen it yet. Hmm. So we're still interested in hearing from people of, of something that, uh, you know, if people see it's a little bit out of the ordinary, let us know about it. Wow. Well, if you get your hands on that video, let me know, okay? And we'll talk yeah. more about it. Absolutely. Hey, and I wanted to have you on a while ago, and it just didn't work out. But again, uh, congratulations on the uh, Mahalik UFO uh, being uh, on a coin, correct? Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, uh, it, it's really quite an honor. We work with uh, the Royal Canadian Mint um, on uh, on creating that coin, and uh, it was so popular. I think it sold out within uh, 24 hours. Wow. <laughs> I think it's on eBay for something like 2,000 a copy now, so good luck for people trying to find one of those. But it really is quite remarkable. It shows the interest in this. Not only that, there's a, uh, um, a, a, I don't know, a musical company uh, just outside of Winnipeg that has made sort of an operetta about uh, the Falcon Lake case, and they're performing it fairly soon. So, Mm. you know, the interest is really quite there. Well, and I'll tell you something. You know, you do the the annual uh, Canadian UFO report. Um, it, it, it's it, it's not what it was once once was you know now this has become acceptable that people are seeing something we don't know what they're seeing but it's kind of brought it into the mainstream a bit hasn't it. It is. And, you know, the fact that people are paying attention and, you know, we're not making extraordinary claims. We've never made those with our Canadian UFO survey. No, right. This is this is what people are seeing. We're not talking in terms of Mm. green guys and and that type of thing. But we're saying there's a real phenomenon that people are fascinated with and it's being continually reported. And I think there's some some interesting scientific data to be gained from looking at this. I agree. Glad to have you on today. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Al. Chris Rutkowski, science writer and weirdologist, joining us on a few things here today. Why don't we take a quick break? I'll regroup. We'll come back and we'll roll out some more uh, info and entertainment for you. Hal Anderson on CJOB. All right, we started this hour talking to Nicole Mediation over at On Screen Manitoba about how they would like to see a direct flight to Los Angeles. It would mean a lot for the filming uh, community. 
here in the province of Manitoba and in the city of Winnipeg. And as promised now, Global News reporter Christian O'Mell and uh, more on the idea of direct flights between Winnipeg and cities like Los Angeles. The Winnipeg Airports Authority held its annual general meeting today, revealing a fourth straight year of record passenger growth. But a lot of those passengers aren't completely satisfied, wishing there were more direct flights out of the city. Here now, Christian explaining the process and why it's a bit of a puzzle. I've got no roots, but my home was never on the ground. I've got no roots. Say you want to fly to Nashville from Winnipeg. I mean, I'm not sure why someone would do that right now. Probably just the country music scene. There's nothing sportsy happening. You can't without stopping. Same with Los Angeles, New York City, Atlanta, Boston. According to the Winnipeg Airports Authority website, there's eight U.S. cities you can fly to without stopping, and half of them are seasonal. Talking to passengers at Winnipeg's airport, yeah, they want more options. Yes, I do. <laughs> it would certainly minimize the stress of uh, connecting flights and delays. Because we travel standby, yes, <laughs> because we're seeing a lot of flights oversold. Just more flights. Like, we just got bumped off our second flight today, so we've been here since 6.30 with a little guy. Where are you from? From Texas. Do you fly here direct? No. Do you wish you could? Yes. <laughs> now before we go any further, the difference between direct and non-stop. Direct can have two meanings. Sometimes it is interchangeable with non-stop. For example, you fly from Winnipeg to Vancouver without stopping, but it can also be used to mean a flight with the same number that stops en route. So you can get on a plane in Winnipeg going to Vancouver, but it stops in Edmonton to pick up some more people who are also buying a ticket on the same flight number. So how do we make more direct and or non non-stop flights a reality. Airport CEO Barry Rample says their marketing team is trying to pitch airlines to add Winnipeg to their schedules. As an example, we know that between Winnipeg and New York, there's about 42,000 people per year that travel. So then we go back to the carriers and say, look, here's a great opportunity. We also know between 35 and 40,000 passengers per year is what it takes to ensure that a series of flights is sustainable, whether it's four or five or six flights per week. And it's not just New York City that has the numbers. You know, I mentioned that 35 to 40,000. The routes that meet that today are New York, Los Angeles, Victoria, and internationally, probably no surprise to most people though, is, is Manila. So those are the priority routes that we're focusing on, and we're just gonna keep working with the carriers to make that happen. When a direct flight is added, Rempel says they see an instant bump in passenger numbers by 20 to 40%. So they gather all their data and they show it to carriers, average fare, passenger numbers, etc. But here's the thing, we're not the only city trying to make this happen. Very often we're up against Calgary, Edmonton, Ottawa, Halifax. But most often when we go to things like the what we call our Roots Conference, which is where all airlines and airports get together uh, twice per year, we're up against Memphis, Boulder, Colorado, Spokane, Washington, cities in California, because everybody wants more direct service wherever they can possibly get it. It really comes down to what the carrier wants to do. There are really two types of carriers. There are point-to-point -point carriers and hub-and-spoke carriers. Hub-and-spoke carriers prefer to take as large an aircraft as many times as possible between a point, Winnipeg, and a hub, Toronto. They prefer not to overfly that because by taking that many people to Toronto, they disperse them onto just a series of other flights, which might be the flight to Nashville. It's a bit of a puzzle in how this all comes together. Just because we have enough people right now flying these routes that we want to make nonstop doesn't mean it'll happen right away. Because there's just so many other competitive factors. The government, for example, is subsidizing carriers to go. We're being very careful not to go down that road because if you subsidize a carrier, 
The instant the subsidy dies, because they're not forever, the route's gone. You start getting a bad reputation. When I first arrived in Winnipeg, which is now some 16 years ago, we had a bit of a reputation on Winnipeg-Denver because it had been on again, off again, on again, off again. And when we went and talked to United Airlines, for example, I'd say, well, like, why wouldn't you try? And their first comment back to me is, well, if Air Canada can't make it, how would we? So if you want to go to Nashville this weekend, you might be out of luck or it's going to cost you a lot of time and money. But hey, if the Jets can win and play Vegas next round, there's lots of nonstop flights going there. Christian O'Mel, Global News. Thank you very much, Christian. So there you go. Uh, It is easier said than done to get direct flights. Who knew it was such a complicated process? But now we know, thanks to Christian O'Mel. And yes, it'd be nice to have direct flights to New York and Los Angeles and... uh, but I'll tell you what, they had another big year at the airport, as as I said in the intro to Christian's piece there. And Barry Rempel and the gang at the Winnipeg Airports Authority, they really seem to have their stuff together. So I'm sure if it's at all possible, they will make it happen. Celebrity birthdays today. Let's take a look at uh, who's having a birthday today. No, not me. Mine's tomorrow. <laughs> I know, you don't care. Uh, Al Pacino's having a birthday today. Hoo-ah! Hoo-ah! Al Pacino is 78 today. Len Goodman. I don't watch him anymore on Dancing with the Stars. He's one of the judges on Dancing with the Stars, 74. Bjorn Alvaeus, I think I'm saying his name correctly, from ABBA, is 73 today. Uh, Talia Shire, she was uh, yo, Adrian. Adrian on the uh, Rocky movies. 73. Jeffrey DeMond, Dale on The Walking Dead, 71 today. Hank Azaria, many voices on The Simpsons, including Apu. And as you know, there's a bit of a controversy about uh, Apu. I know the boys, MacLean and McGeary, were talking about that this morning. Heck, there's even a documentary about it. Hank Azaria, very talented guy, 54 years old today. Renee Zellweger is 49 today. <laughs> I laughed earlier. Jeff Curry was doing the birthdays, and he said, "Oh, Renee Zellweger is having a birthday. She's forty-nine. Although some parts of her are much, some parts of her are much younger than that." That was funny. Made me laugh, Mister Courier. Jason Lee. Remember the show? My name is Earl. Earl was that's Earl from My Name Is Earl. Jason Lee, forty-eight today. Sarah Paxton is having a birthday today. Sarah uh, Sarah Paxton is thirty today. And also having a birthday today, Eric Avery from Jane's Addiction. A bit of Jane's Addiction heading to the news at 3. It's Hal and CJOB.
And of course, that number is always available for you to reach Hal Anderson. Yes, it is. Whatever you want to talk about, your phone calls take priority when I'm on the air here, 204-780-6868. Earlier in the show, we had several people call up with traffic tips. We especially like those because then we can get those out to everybody else. Helps everybody. 204-780-6868. And if you're a bit shy, you can always text that number. You don't have to call it. We like calls, but you can text it as well. Or, of course, email me, hal at cjob.com. All right. It is uh, 3.07, and joining us on the phone now from Fort White Alive, it is our friend Barrett Miller. Hello, Barrett. Hello, Hal. How are you? Great. Thank you for doing this. So uh, this morning, we noticed a couple geese here in the Polo Park area, and we're wondering if it's possible that these are the same two Marshall's geese from last year. Is that possible? It's not just possible, it's quite probable. Geese are pretty loyal to their nesting site, even if it's not a great nesting site. Yeah, what's that all about? Um, Winnipeg is a goose paradise. With our well-manicured lawns and golf courses, retention ponds, and that kind of thing, we have provided a lot of good goose habitat, which means that there's a lot of little baby geese hatched here which also means that most of the good places, even though they're abundant, are taken, and some geese are choosing or being forced to nest in less ideal locations like the Marshalls parking lot. Um, Once geese have been successful or moderately successful, uh, they are kind of loyal to their nest location, and until something better opens up, uh, or even when something better opens up, we'll try to return to the same place year after year. Well, I guess we are kind of close to Omens Creek, so we certainly have water here. But if these geese are the same geese, last year, Mama put her nest in the big flower pot right by the front door at Marshall's here Mm -hmm. in Polo Park. I mean, (laughs) even if they're going to be in the Polo Park area, there had to be a better location than that. Well, um, there probably was. There might not have been. And um, in any species, there's sort of, you know, smarter ones and less smart ones. (laughs) And uh, I don't want to disparage the Marshall's uh, geese, but um, I think that listeners can draw their own conclusion. (laughs) Yeah. Now, we didn't see these by Marshall's. We saw them actually uh, over by uh, the Polo Park Mall here. But so (laughs) if it is the same geese, how big of an area then would they claim as theirs? Are they, you know, kind of, uh, have they worked out a deal with um, Polo Park Mall and they kind of get the whole area or what? It really depends on the pairing of geese. Some need very little space, and some want a lot of space. Um, If this is a situation where the geese want a lot of space, um, it might be that the Polo Park Mall is going to need to call the Canadian Wildlife Service to possibly get a permit to move that nest. Hmm. Uh, If it's a case where these are sort of fairly friendly, easygoing parent geese, they may be able to have their nest um, in a couple square meters and um, actually kind of get along with all the Polo Park traffic. Hmm. And are some geese better with people than others? Oh, definitely. Um, Just like there's smarter and less smart ones, there's more aggressive and uh, territorial and less aggressive and territorial ones. Hmm. We see that here at Fort White all the time. There's some pairings that, yeah, you hardly even know they're there. And some, from about 20 yards out, let you know that they're there and that you better not come much closer. Well, and actually, there are some photos of a young golfer in Michigan that are going viral right now, several photos, showing him being attacked by a very aggressive and territorial goose. So it's not uncommon, is it? 
Uh, no, they are. Uh, one of the reasons that species has come back from near extinction is they are tough birds. Mm. Uh, my advice to people is don't provoke. Be the bigger goose. You know, you always hear that when you're in elementary school. Be the bigger person, walk away from a fight. Yes. Well, you don't walk away. You stand your ground, square up to the goose, and it will back down. Step back, facing the goose, looking at that goose. Step back, step back, until the goose is settling down, and then you can walk around it. I know as humans, our first instinct is to sort of duck our head and turn away from conflict um, or charge right in there. Charge right in there is not a good idea when you're dealing with an aggressive animal with a little pea-sized brain. Uh, And back down, that says that you are ceding that territory and you're saying to the goose, please chase me out. So square your shoulders, look it in the eye, and step back. Be the bigger goose. All right, some good advice. Anything else we should know about the geese before I let you go, Barrett? Um, just that goose migration and territorial, uh, well, establishing nesting territories is in full swing. Things are actually going to settle down a little bit as the nesting territories get claimed. Then the geese are just interested in their nest, in their family, and not in fighting with every other goose, um, in the neighborhood. So in three or four days, the goose situation is going to settle down a little bit. Good to know. Barrett, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you. That is Barrett Miller at Fort White Alive, helping us out with the geese. You got any good geese stories? 204-780-6868. Love animal stories. Anytime you can give me a good animal story, I want to hear it. We are going to take a break. 312, we'll check traffic, the forecast, and then we're coming back. It's Hal Anderson on CJOB. And at 317, Keith. I asked for a goose story, and Keith has one. Keith is at uh, 204-780-6868. Your goose story, please. Yeah, I, uh, I work for the city of Winnipeg, and uh, we have a yard uh, on uh, Chevrolet Boulevard. And I was going into work one night for uh, spring cleanup, and uh, there was a, there's a cemetery right across from, from the city yard. And there was this goose, and... Uh, it had used the wreath for somebody that passed away to uh, make its nest. <laughs> and I stopped and I was watching and watching. And so I left it alone. And a couple days later, I came back and the goose is still sitting on the nest. And all of a sudden, this vehicle pulls, pulls up. And it's a family. And they get out. And they get out and they go to this wreath where the goose is. And I said, oh, I said, uh, that's that's pretty neat. And they said, yeah, that's that's where they just buried my dad at. Wow. I said, that's where your dad's buried? And she said, yeah. And she said, he loved geese. Isn't that so, something? Yeah, and she had her little goslings and stuck around and then took off and uh it was all good. It was a good story. Wow, that is a great story, Keith, you know, because I am such a believer in stuff like that, right? You know, he passed away. He liked geese. He, you know, yeah. he, he passed away. The geese were born. That's a great story. I like that story. Thank you, Keith. No problem. Thanks Take for care. sharing that. Yeah, that's a that's a great story. Signs like that, man. I'm a huge believer in, in signs like that. Absolutely. Um, by the way, speaking of... Uh, good vibrations and happy thoughts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you've heard Duck on the show a few times. He's a regular listener and a regular caller. 
I don't get to talk to uh, all of you, but I talk to some of you, and Duck is a guy that I talk to on a fairly regular basis. And he's going in for some surgery, and I want you uh, to say a prayer. If you believe that that may help, I would like you to do that for Duck, uh, but certainly send uh, happy thoughts his way. And Duck, we're thinking about you. All right, pal? You hang in there. You're going to be fine. And uh, just uh, know that when you're feeling up to it, uh, get in touch with me, man, and uh, wish you all the best. All right? Just wanted to make sure we we do that for uh, for Duck today. Um, muchos kilos, me, Shaner, and Timmy, my band of big guys. This morning I was listening to Mackling and McGarry, and they were talking about this story, uh, Amazon, you know. They, they were the ones that were doing the drone deliveries and all that stuff. Well, now... Um, Amazon's not going to leave your package on your front door anymore. They may pop the trunk of your car instead. The company is launching a new version of its Amazon Key, which gives Amazon delivery drivers a special internet-connected key to open customers' front doors. Now, with an app on compatible cars, deliverers can unlock trunks and leave packages there. Customers in 37 U.S. cities will soon get to try the new key. Um, And I guess it's happening with GM's OnStar as well. And um, we'll see how far it goes. Does it come to Canada? But whatever happens with it, kind of a cool story. And so me, Shaner, and Timmy, my band of big guys, we uh, ripped off a, a Van Halen classic called Jump. And here it is, and we call it Trunk. Trunk on CJOB. Shanner and Timmy, my band of big guys. Trunk. Trunk. Uh, By the way, uh, Amazon uh, Prime customers pay $220 for the in-home deliveries. Uh, This new one where they put it in the trunk of your car, free. If it ever gets here. Right now, 37, or very soon, 37 U.S. cities will have it. Kind of an interesting... uh, Story. I mean, it, it truly is every day we get new incredible stories about new technology and just things are changing so fast. How can you tell I'm getting old? I'm sounding like my dad, right? 
That's how you tell. That's how you tell you're getting old when you start sounding like your dad or your grandpa. 323, we'll check the weather again for you. Sports and news coming right up.